Chapter Six of Arizona Nights by Stephen Edward White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Cutting out. It was somewhere near noon by the time we had bunched and held the herd of some four or five thousand head in the smooth, wide flat, free from bushes and dog holes. Each sat at ease on his horse, facing the cattle, watching lazily the clouds of dust and the shifting beast, but ready at any instant to turn back the restless or independent individuals that might break for liberty. Out of the haze came Homer, the round-up captain, on an easy lope. As he passed successfully the sentries, he delivered to each a low command, but without slackened pace. Some of those spoken to wheeled their horses and rode away. The others settled themselves in their saddles and began to roll cigarettes. "'Change horses. Get something to eat,' said he to me. So I swung after the file traveling at a canter over the low swells beyond the plain. The remuda had been driven by its leaders to a corner of the pasture's wire fence, and there held. As each man arrived, he dismounted, threw off his saddle, and turned his animal loose. Then he flipped a loop in his rope and disappeared in the eddying herd. The discarded horse, with many grunts, indulged in a satisfying roll, shook himself vigorously, and walked slowly away. His labor was over for the day, and he knew it, and took not the slightest trouble to get out of the way of the men with the swinging ropes. Not so the fresh horses, however. They had no intention of being caught, if they could help it but dodged and twisted, hid and doubled behind the moving screen of their friends. The latter, seeming as usual to know they were not wanted, made no effort to avoid the men, which probably accounted in great measure for the fact that the herd as a body remained compact, in spite of the cowboys threatening it, and in spite of the lack of an enclosure. Our horses caught, we saddled as hastily as possible, and then at the top speed of our fresh and eager ponies we swept down on the chuck-wagon, there we fell off our saddles, and descended on the meat and bread like ravenous locusts on a cornfield. The ponies stood where we left them, tied to the ground, the cattle country fashion. As soon as a man had stoked up for the afternoon, he rode away. Some finished before others, so across the plain formed an endless procession of men returning to the herd, and of those whom they replaced coming for their turn at the grub. We found the herd quiet. Some were even lying down, chewing their cuds as peacefully as any barnyard cows, most, however, stood ruminative, or walked slowly to and fro in the confines allotted by the horsemen, so that the herd looked from a distance like a brown carpet whose pattern was constantly changing, a dusty brown carpet in the process of being beaten. I relieved one of the watchers and settled myself for a wait. At this close inspection the different sorts of cattle showed more distinctly their characteristics. The cows and calves generally rested peacefully enough, the calf often lying down while the mother stood guard over it. Steers, however, were more restless. They walked ceaselessly, threading their way in and out among the standing cattle, pausing in brutish amazement at the edge of the herd, and turning back immediately to endless journeyings. The bulls, excited by so much company forced on their accustomed solitary habit, roared defiance at each other until the air fairly trembled. Occasionally two would clash foreheads, then the powerful animals would push and wrestle, trying for a chance to gore. The decision of supremacy was a question of but a few minutes and a bloody top knot the worst damage. The defeated one sidestepped hastily and clumsily out of reach, and then walked away. Most of the time all we had to do was sit on our horses and watch these things, to enjoy the warm bath of the Arizona sun, and to converse with our next neighbors. Once in a while some enterprising cow, observing the opening between the men, would start to walk out. Others would fall in behind her until the movement would become general. Then one of us would swing his leg off the pommel and jog his pony over to head them off, they would return peacefully enough. But one black muley cow, with a calf as black and muley as herself, was more persistent, 
Time after time, with infinite patience, she tried it again, the moment my back was turned. I tried driving her far into the herd. No use. She always returned. Quartons and stones had no effect on her mild and steady persistence. She's a San Simon cow, draw my neighbor. Everybody knows her. She's at every roundup, just naturally raising hell. When the last man had returned from Chuck, Homer made the dispositions for the cut. There were present probably thirty men from the home ranches round about, and twenty representing owners at a distance, here to pick up the strays inevitable to the season's drift. The roundup captain appointed two men to hold the cow and calf cut, and two more to hold the steer cut. Several of us rode into the herd, while the remainder retained their positions as sentinels to hold the main body of cattle in shape. Little G and I rode slowly among the cattle looking everywhere. The animals moved sluggishly aside to give us passage, and closed in as sluggishly behind us, so that we were always closely hemmed in wherever we went. Over the shifting sleek backs, through the eddying clouds of dust, I could make out the figures of my companions moving slowly, apparently aimlessly, here and there. Our task for the moment was to search out the unbranded J.H. calves. Since in ranks so closely crowded it would be physically impossible actually to see an animal's branded flank, we depended entirely on the earmarks. Did you ever notice how any animal, tame or wild, always points his ears inquiringly in the direction of whatever interests or alarms him? Those ears are for the moment his most prominent feature, so when a brand is quite indistinguishable because, as now, of press of numbers, or, as in winter, from extreme length of hair, the cropped ears tell plainly the tale of ownership. As every animal is so marked when branded, it follows that an uncut pair of ears means that its owner has never felt the iron. So now we had to look first for all calves with uncut ears. After discovering one, we had to ascertain his ownership by examining the ear marks of his mother, by whose side he was sure, in this alarming multitude, to be clinging faithfully. Calves are numerous, and J. H. cows everywhere to be seen so in somewhat less than ten seconds i had my eye on a mother and son immediately i turned little g in their direction at the slap of my quirt against the stirrup all the cows immediately about me shrank suspiciously aside little g stepped forward daintily his nostrils expanding his ears working back and forth trying to the best of his ability to understand which animals i had selected the cow and her calf turned in toward the center of the herd a touch of the reins guided the pony at once he comprehended from that time on he needed no further directions cautiously patiently with great skill he forced the cow through the press toward the edge of the herd it had to be done very quietly at a foot pace so as to alarm neither the objects of pursuit nor those surrounding them when the cow turned back little g somehow happened always in her way before she knew it she was at the outer edge of the herd there she found herself with a group of three or four companions facing the open plain instinctively she sought shelter I felt little G's muscles tighten beneath me. The moment for action had come. Before the cow had a chance to dodge among her companions, the pony was upon her like a thunderbolt. She broke an alarm, trying desperately to avoid the rush. There ensued an exciting contest of dodgings, turnings, and doublings. Wherever she turned, little G was before her. Some of his evolutions were marvelous. All I had to do was to sit my saddle and apply just that final touch of judgment denied even the wisest of the lower animals. Time and again the turn was so quick that the stirrups swept the ground. At last the cow, convinced of the uselessness of further effort to return, broke away in a long, lumbering run to the open plain. She was stopped and held by the men detailed, and so formed the nucleus of the new-cut herd. Immediately little G, his ears working in conscious virtue, jog-trotted back into the herd, ready for another. 
After a dozen cows had been sent across to the cut herd, the work simplified. Once a cow caught sight of this new band, she generally made directly for it, head and tail up. After the first short struggle to force her from the herd, all I had to do was start her in the proper direction and keep her at it until her decision was fixed. If she was too soon left to her own devices, however, she was likely to return. An old cowman knows to a second just the proper moment to abandon her. Sometimes, in spite of her best efforts, a cow succeeded in circling us and plunging into the main herd. The temptation was then strong to plunge in also and to drive her out by main force, but the temptation had to be resisted. A dash into the thick of it might break the whole band. At once, of his own accord, little G dropped to his fast shuffling walk, and again we addressed ourselves to the task of pushing her gently to the edge. This was all comparatively simple. Almost any pony is fast enough for the calf cut, but now Homer gave orders for the steer cut to begin, and steers are rapid and resourceful and full of natural cussedness. Little G and I were relieved by Windy Bill and betook ourselves to the outside of the herd. Here we had leisure to observe the effects that up to this moment we had ourselves been producing. The herd, restless by reason of the horsemen threading it, shifted, gave ground, expanded, and contracted, so that its shape and size were always changing in the constant area guarded by the sentinel cowboys. Dust arose from these movements, clouds of it, to eddy and swirl, thicken and dissipate in the currents of air. Now it concealed all but the nearest dimly outlined animals. Again it parted in rifts, through which mistily we discerned the riders moving in and out of the fog. Again it lifted, high and thin, so that we saw in clarity the whole herd and the outriders in the maces far away. As the afternoon waned, long shafts of sun slanted through this dust. It played on men and beasts magically, expanding them to the dimensions of strange genii, appearing and effacing themselves in the billows of vapor from some enchanted bottle. We on the outside found our sinecure of hot noontide filched from us by the cooler hours. The cattle, wearied of standing, and perhaps somewhat hungry and thirsty, grew more and more impatient. We rode continually, back and forth, turning the slow movement in on itself. Occasionally some particularly enterprising cow would conclude that one or another of the cut herds would suit her better than this mill of turmoil. She would start confidently out, head and tail up, find herself chased back, get stubborn on the question, and lead her pursuer a long, hard run before she would return to her companions. Once in a while one would even have to be roped and dragged back. For now, before something happens to you, that you can chase a cow safely only until she gets hot and winded, then she stands her ground and gets emphatically on the peck. I remember very well when I first discovered this. It was after I had had considerable cow work, too. I thought of cows as I had always seen them, afraid of a horseman, easy to turn with a pony, and willing to be chased as far as necessary to the work. Nobody told me anything different. One day we were making a drive in an exceedingly broken country. I was bringing in a small bunch I had discovered in a pocket of the hills, but was successfully annoyed by one old cow that insisted on breaking back. In the wisdom of further experience, I now conclude that she probably had a calf in the bush. Finally she got away entirely. After starting the bunch well ahead, I went after her. Well, the cow and I ran nearly side by side for as much as a half mile at top speed. She declined to be headed. Finally she fell down and was so entirely winded that she could not get up. No, old girl, I've got you, said I, and set myself to urging her to her feet. The pony acted somewhat astonished and suspicious of the job. Therein he knew a lot more than I did. But I insisted, and, like a good pony, he obeyed. I yelled at the cow and slapped my bat and used my quirt. When she had quite recovered a wind, she got slowly to her feet. 
and charged me in a most determined manner. Now a bull or a steer is not difficult to dodge. He lowers his head, shuts his eyes, and comes in on one straight rush. But a cow looks to see what she is doing. Her eyes are open every minute, and it overjoys her to take a side hook at you even when you succeed in eluding her direct charge. The pony I was riding did his best, but even then could not avoid a sharp prod that would have ripped him up had not my leather bastos intervened. Then we retired to a distance in order to plan further, but we did not succeed in inducing that cow to revise her ideas, so at last we left her. When in some chagrin I mentioned to the roundup captain the fact that I had skipped one animal, he merely laughed. Why, kid, said he, you can't do nothing with a cow that gets on the prod that way. Thought you ropes her, and what could you do with her out there if you did rope her? So I learned one thing more about cows. After the steer cut had been finished, the men representing the neighboring rangers looked through the herd for strays or their brands. These were thrown into the stray herd, which had been brought up from the bottom lands to receive the new accessions. Work was pushed rapidly, as the afternoon was nearly gone. In fact, so observed were we that until it was almost upon us, we did not notice a heavy thunder shower that arose in the region of the Dragoon Mountains and swept rapidly across the zenith. Before we knew it, the rain had begun. In ten seconds it had increased to a deluge, and at twenty we were all to leeward of the herd, striving desperately to stop the drift of the cattle downwind. We did everything in our power to stop them, but in vain. Slickers waved, quirts slapped against leather, six shooters flashed, but still the cattle, heads lowered, advanced with slow and sullen persistence that would not be stemmed. If we held our ground, they divided around us. Step by step we were forced to give way. The thin line of nervously plunging horses sprayed before the dense mass of the cattle. "'No, they won't stampede,' shouted Charlie to my question. "'There's cows and calves in them. If they were just steers or grown critters, they might.' The sensations of those few moments were very vivid. The blinding beat of the storm in my face, the unbroken front of horned heads bearing down on me, resistless as fate, the long slant of rain with the sun shining in the distance beyond it. Abruptly the downpour ceased. We shook our hats free of water and drove the herd back to the cutting grounds again. But now the surface of the ground was slippery, and the rapid maneuvering of horses had become a matter precarious in the extreme. Time and again the ponies fairly sat on their haunches and slid when negotiating a sudden stop, while quick turns meant the rapid scramblings that only a cow-horse could accomplish. Nevertheless, the work went forward unchecked. The men of the other outfits cut their cattle into the stray herd. The latter was by now of considerable size, for this was the third week of the round-up. Finally everyone expressed himself as satisfied. The largely diminished main herd was now started forward by means of shrill cowboy cries and beating of quirts. The cattle were only too eager to go. From my position on a little rise above the stray herd, I could see the leaders breaking into a run, their heads thrown forward as they snuffed their freedom. On the mesa side, the sentinel riders quietly withdrew. From the rear and flanks, the horsemen closed in. The cattle poured out in a steady stream to the opening thus left on the mesa side. The fringe of cowboys followed, urging them on. Abruptly, the cavalcade turned and came loping back. The cattle continued ahead on a trot gradually spreading abroad over the landscape, losing their integrity as a herd. Some of the slower or hungrier dropped out and began to graze. Certain of the more wary disappeared to right or left. Now after the day's work was practically over, we had our first accident. The horse ridden by a young fellow from Dos Cabezas slipped, fell, and rolled quite over his rider. At once the animal lunged to his feet, only to be immediately seized by the nearest rider. But the Dos Cabezas man lay still, his arms and legs spread abroad, his head doubled sideways in a horribly suggestive manner. 
we hopped off. Two men straightened him out, while two more looked carefully over the indications on the ground. All right, sang out one of them. The horn didn't catch him. He pointed to the indentation left by the pommel. Indeed, five minutes brought the man to his senses. He complained of a very twisted back. Homer set one of the men in after the bed wagon, by means of which the sufferer was shortly transported to camp. By the end of the week he was again in the saddle. How men escape from this common accident with injuries so slight has always puzzled me. The horse rolls completely over his rider, and yet it seems to be the rarest thing in the world for the latter to be either killed or permanently injured. Now each man had the privilege of looking through the J.H. cuts to see if by chance steers of his own had been included in them. When all had expressed themselves as satisfied, the various bands were started to the corrals. From a slight eminence where I had paused to enjoy the evening, I looked down on the scene. The three herds, separated by generous distance one from the other, crawled leisurely along. The riders, their hats thrust back, lolled in their saddles, shouting conversation to each other, relaxing after the day's work. Through the clouds strong shafts of light belittled the living creatures, threw into proportion the vastness of the desert. This is the end of chapter 6.